the message that I'm going to bring you today is up on the screen, the title of it. It's called Jesus and Peter, the moment of truth. But before we get into that, I just want to ask a question. Has anybody ever played the game 20 Questions? Yeah. yeah, put your hand up if you've played the game 20 Questions. Okay, so I think most people have. It's probably a game that you've maybe played at a party or at a, you know, like a camping trip or, or something. Um, and the basic premise of the game is this. Somebody chooses a famous person. So um, say I could choose Marcus Rashford. And the job of everyone else in the game is to try and guess who that is and hence the name, 20 questions. They get to question you about who your person is and try and figure out who it is. Now, there is a catch. You can't just go, who is it? <laughs> you can only ask questions that can be answered by yes or no, and it's like a process of elimination to figure out who it is. So with Marcus Rashford, for example, somebody might say, is he, sorry, is he, is it a man? And I go, yes, it's a man. And they could also say, um, are they an actor? And I go, no, they're not an actor. Are they a sports person? Yes, they're a sports person. Um, do they play football? Yes, they play football. Do they play for England? Yes. And then people will start to go, oh, I think I know who this is. And they go, did he feed thousands of school children last year during the pandemic? And I would say, I think you're on to me, yes. And then you'd say, is it Marcus Rashford? And you will have won the game. Now, I think we should play a little bit of 20 questions here together this morning. Is that okay? Okay. Except we're not going to just choose any ordinary famous person. We're going to choose a character from the Bible. So I've got a character from the Bible in my mind, and I am ready, ladies and gentlemen, for my first question. Yes. You can't say male or female because I can only say yes or no. Are they male or female? Yes and no. <laughs> so the first question I had there from Natalie, are they a man? Yes, it's a man. Are they in the New Testament? Are they in the New Testament? Yes, they're in the New Testament. Are they a disciple? Are they a disciple? Ooh, two people at the same time. Yes, they are a disciple. But I will say as a little hint to you, depends on how broad your definition of disciple is. Is he one of the 12? No. He is. Yes! Is it Paul? Yes, it is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Woo, man, I gotta tell you, that could have went really wrong. <laughs> and it's good to know that my, my biblical knowledge stands up at least to some light questioning, even if it's just a pre-existing answer. I'm like, oh Lord, please help them not ask something about Paul I don't know. <laughs> you may have played another version of the same game with the post-it notes. Has anybody played that where you put the post-it note on your head and everybody has a go at the same time? And you, the thing about that though is you don't get to choose who your person is. It gets chosen for you. So I could be playing a game with the staff team and I go, right, I'm going to give somebody a really hard one that they won't know. And I have been stuck walking around parties and get-togethers not having a clue who's written on a post-it note on my forehead. And I've learned some things about myself.
myself, church. It's been a very learning process. I've learned that I know very little about Justin Bieber, very little. <laughs> I've learned that I don't know the difference really to my ear between grime and garage music. I don't know, you guys are gonna have to help me. And also what I've learned is my knowledge of geography, particularly British geography, is so poor that honestly we need to give thanks to God that I even made it here today. Like, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I don't even know where I live. Like, people are always laughing at me when I'm talking about, I don't know where Birmingham is. I know London is that way, and I know Scotland is that way. And that's all I know. So hey, we're having some fun here. <laughs> but the questions that get asked in the Game 20 questions, whether you play the post-it note version or the original version that we played, it's all about identity. And it's all a way of testing your knowledge to see how much you know about a particular person, a particular famous person. And in this message, in this scripture that we're gonna look at today, we're gonna to see that Jesus actually has a couple of questions for his disciples as well about who he is. Except he's not messing around, it's not a game, and he's only got two questions. So I think my mic is playing up, so somebody's gonna help me with that. I'm just gonna keep going. Um, so the scripture that we're going to read from is Matthew 16, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version from verse 13. So Matthew 16, 13 onwards. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven also. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, I think I'm going to switch microphones. That's not what Jesus said. Okay, you're switching? You're going to switch this one off? Cool. <laughs> Peter took him to his side and said, I'm going to switch microphones. No. Um, sorry, from verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Before we get into the message, why don't we just pray together just about this word. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word today. Would you give us fresh revelation, fresh insight, and may we depart from today feeling like we know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a key moment in the earthly mission of Jesus, and a really key moment when it comes to his relationship with the disciples. A little bit of context, 
at this point, Jesus' time on earth with the 12, with all of us, but especially with the 12, is coming to an end. So if you look through the scriptures leading up to this conversation, you'll see time and time again that Jesus has an urgency to the way he speaks that would let you know that he realizes his time with his followers is running out. It's, it's running slow. And the issue of who they think he is is very much pressing on his heart. To give a little bit more context, they're in the district of, in the city, sorry, of Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, depending on your pronunciation. And this is a city in the northern part of Israel. It is a Gentile city, which means that it is not one that is full of Jewish people, people of Israel, believers. It's mostly full of people that have some connection or are members or citizens of the Roman Empire. So. It's often thought that Jesus has used this time to take his followers away from the baying crowds and the people that have been following him from place to place, the people that have been gathering on hilltops and in wide open spaces to hear Jesus preach, and that he's taken them away from that place in order to finalize their preparation for all that will come to pass, everything that will happen in the weeks and months to come and all that will happen after Jesus goes to Jerusalem and completes the work that he came to this earth to do. So the truth is, within a few chapters, you will see that they start, within a few chapters, traveling south again, across the Jordan and towards Jerusalem. And you will see that it is a journey from which there's no turning back. So it's very clear at this point that Jesus realizes that time is of the essence. And this is really weighing on his heart. Identity and the issue of the, the disciples understanding exactly who Jesus was is the key here. If I was to give you one takeaway line, if you write down nothing else, if you remember nothing else from this message today, let it be this. That which we believe about Jesus and that which we confess about Jesus is everything. It is everything. That which we believe about Jesus and that which we confess about Jesus is everything. You still with me so far? Amen. Okay. So, we are to look upon Jesus and do everything we can in our lives, in our faith lives, in our journeys, to know him more and more and to understand him, to understand who he is and to be able to say, Jesus, I know you for who you truly are. That is the goal of our relationship with God. So I want to talk about three principles that will help us achieve this goal. Three principles to orient our life around, to orient our relationship with Christ around, so that we will have the greatest chance possible to know him as well as we possibly could, to have the most pure and complete image of Jesus in our minds and understand his character completely. So the first principle I want to give you is the principle of proximity. Now, proximity simply means closeness, nearness. My proximity to these guys here in this row here, to Karen, to Lloyd, to Luca, to Stephen, everybody here, my proximity to them is a lot nearer than my proximity to the team at the back who are mixing the sound and the cameras. My prox so it's an issue of closeness. How close are we to Jesus in our walk with him? Jesus presents an interesting comparison to the disciples, and I think it's really important that we notice it. Jesus doesn't just say, who does everybody think I am? No, he says, 
One, who do the people say that I am? And two, who do you, my disciples, my followers, say that I am? And he makes that distinction. Why do we think that is? I think it's because he expected them to know better. I think it's because he expected them to know him better than the crowds did. What of the crowds? Think about the people that gathered to see Jesus speak but didn't get to, to travel with him. If we were alive in the days that Jesus walked this earth, this would probably be us. There might be some fortunate ones within our number who may have been one of the 12, but for the most part, we would have been part of this crowd. And what would their experience of Jesus be? They maybe would have seen him speak. They maybe would have seen him pass through their village. They maybe would have had an interaction with him, maybe. Um, and they would have heard from other people what he was all about. So they didn't have no knowledge of him. They just had an incomplete knowledge of him. Now compare that to the knowledge of the disciples, of the 12, that got to live with him each and every day. What was their experience of Jesus? They got to share meals with him. They got to see him go to bed at night and wake up the next morning. They got to share conversations with him. They got to live in closeness and in intimacy with him. To go back to our 20 questions game, I am a huge Manchester United fan. Can I just confess that here in our midst? Can I just say I'm also praying for any Leeds United fans in the building after the game yesterday where we won 5-1 and some people are bad losers but I'm also a pretty terrible winner. But I'm a huge Manchester United fan, and we talked about Marcus Rashford earlier on in the game that we played, and I feel like I know about uh, quite a lot about Marcus Rashford. I can remember when an Anthony Martial, one of the Manchester United players, got injured just before a game in 2014, and this young kid, Marcus Rashford, who, to be honest with you, I'd never even heard of, suddenly he was going to start this game, and I thought, oh, we're never going to win now. And it was in the Europa League, and we were playing a, I think we were playing a Danish team, and he comes off the, he, he starts, and we weren't expecting him to start, and, and he scores two goals, and we win the game. And then a couple of weeks later, he plays against Arsenal, and he scores another two goals. And I've probably watched every single Manchester United game under the sun that's happened since that moment. So I feel like I know a lot about Marcus Rashford. But I'll tell you something, I probably don't know him as well as his mother does, <laughs> or his teammates, or his close friends. How different is their perception of him compared to mine? And how incomplete is my perception of him compared to theirs? Elsewhere in our game, we talked about the Apostle Paul. Now, we have all of Paul's writings. It's believed that he penned 13 books of the Bible. Um, and we have a huge library of Scripture that can help us to get to know the nature and the character of Paul quite well. But how much better would Timothy know Paul? Timothy, whom Paul mentored, Timothy, whom Paul called a spiritual son. How much deeper is Timothy's understanding of Paul and how incomplete is ours by comparison? 
The truth is, when Jesus asked this question to the disciples, who do the people say that I am, and who do you say that I am, the truth is he expected them to see him for who he truly was. Now, proximity is something that we need to cultivate as a result in our walk with Jesus. We don't get to um, walk the earth with the bodily form of Jesus yet in the same way that the disciples did, but we can introduce elements into our walk with God to get close to Jesus, to get greater proximity with him, taking time to read the word, taking time to pray, taking time to fellowship with other believers and see God at work in their lives, performing acts of mercy and justice in Jesus' name and understanding his heart and partnering in the work of the kingdom. These are all things we can do to gain greater proximity to the heart of God and understand him better. So we need proximity, that's our first principle, to understand who Jesus truly is. Amen, you with me so far? God, I'm gonna keep asking you that just to make sure I can, you know, that you're still there. Um, our, so if our first principle is proximity, our second principle is humility. Now this is, humility is just being humble. That's a term that's thrown around a lot, but it basically means freedom from any pride, freedom from any arrogance, and we basically, we don't think that we've got everything figured out, that we're the best, we've got it all together, and we're sorted. If you don't do that, chances are you're pretty humble. And humility is not just a characteristic, but it's a relational posture, particularly when it comes to our faith, having humility in our understanding of Jesus, having humility when we approach the Word of God, having humility that we maybe haven't got it all figured out yet. We could look at Peter and say, okay, so he's just received this incredible blessing from Jesus, where Jesus has gone, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonah. For this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood. This, blood. this has been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And what he implies there is by the Holy Spirit. It would be easy for us to think, oh man, Peter is like on another level now to the rest of the disciples. And he's just like, he's hit it. Whatever the goal is, I don't know what it is, but he's hit it. And it could be easy to think, okay, so he's sorted now. He's just good. He's all good. And for the rest of his days, he was a very holy man who made no mistakes, no longer sinned, and all was grand. But if you know Peter's story, you know that's not what happened. You know that's not what happened. If we look at the scripture we looked at, not two, three verses later, Peter goes from, blessed are you, Simon Peter, to get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty big turnaround. Uh, the, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, Peter goes from being a rock to a stumbling block. <laughs> and I always think that's quite funny. I think I'd read that book or I'd watch that movie if it ever got made. Um, so what we need to be aware of is the fact that this is not beyond any of us. You know, we, we could easily be Peter. We could easily be Peter in this moment. And, and maybe we always say, like, how could you be in the presence of the living Jesus and not see him for who he truly was? But the truth is, we still do things like this every day. We just do. I know I'm not the only one here in the room who's tried to put God in a box. Okay, Lord, this is what I need. And I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> this is what I'm expecting. And if there's anything else, I will be disappointed. Or you know what the great one is? Mm, what you don't realize, Lord, is what you don't realize. God, have you considered? Have you thought about? <laughs> we all do it. We can put God in a box. 
the practice and principle of humility in our faith life as a measure to understand Jesus better is simply saying, I don't know everything. Lord, help me understand you more fully. Help me see you for who you truly are. And Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. There is no greater show of humility in the entire word, I think, than in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, if it is your will, Lord, let this whole thing, the cross, my death, my crucifixion, let it pass from me. But not my will be done, O God. Your will be done. And if it's good enough for Jesus, church, it's good enough for us. We need that same relational humility when it comes to our, when it comes to our walk with God. It's interesting how Jesus never really talked about himself as being the Messiah. If you look to the word, he, d he doesn't use the term Messiah to refer to himself all that often. More often than not, he uses the term son of man. And I think that's because he understood the hearts of the people of Israel and he understood the hearts of his followers in that there was a lot of baggage with the term Messiah. There was a lot of expectation. They were expecting a certain type of Messiah. They weren't expecting the gentle, humble, loving, kind Messiah who would lay down his life and be killed and turn earth and the heavens upside down and form a new kingdom where the way up is down. No, they were expecting a warrior king to come in and reclaim the throne and drive out the Roman Empire and establish a kingdom in Israel again, a seat of earthly power and everything beyond the up and up again. So... I think Jesus, when he said in this scripture, just after Peter proclaimed him as the Messiah, he said, yes, and that's been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And also, disciples, don't tell anyone that I am the Messiah. And I think it's because he knew their hearts and he knew that they weren't ready to give a full and accurate picture of who he was yet because they didn't quite yet have the humility they needed to see him for who he truly was. So our first principle is proximity. Our second principle is humility. And I think if we need more of this in our life, we just need to take a moment to examine our own heart and ask the question, what preconceived ideas of Jesus do I need to lay down? What things am I waiting on God for that he never promised me? What things did I promise God that he was going to do for me <laughs> rather than he promised me he was going to do for me? And what do we in humility need to lay down and say, okay, God, your will be done? First principle, proximity. Second principle, humility. Third and final principle, revelation. Now, revelation is a word that gets thrown around church a lot, but it simply means a revelation for something to be revealed to us. And in a practical sense, what it means is understanding, insight, knowledge, and wisdom that comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Proximity and humility are important, but they're not enough on their own. Look again at Jesus' words to Peter. This has been revealed to you, not by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus is saying there is, the Father has revealed it, and he has revealed it by the Holy Spirit. We need to pursue revelation. And the, Holy, the, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit 
performs a work of revelation in our heart when it comes to us seeing Jesus for who he truly is. One, one of the joys, actually, of being able to gather again and being able to gather again without restrictions or with decreased restrictions is that we've been able to have weddings again, which has been awesome, and we've had a bunch of people from within our church get married over the last couple of months. And actually, the most recent wedding I was at was at the wedding of our dear sister, Sharon Storrid, and she got married recently to Simon, and it was just a lovely celebration. It was a lovely day, and it was lovely to be a part of it. Now, Sharon did a thing which you don't see at every wedding anymore, but I thought was really wonderful. She wore a veil as she came in. Now, I knew Sharon was getting married because people had told me it was her wedding. And the other fella that was there was Simon, and I knew that Simon and Sharon were supposed to be getting married. So I thought to myself, that's probably Sharon under that veil. But I couldn't see her fully. Now, if I look close, if I kind of concentrated, I was like, okay, I can see that that's Sharon. I can see her face. I recognize her features. That's Sharon. I know her. She's awesome. But it wasn't until the veil was removed that we saw her fully on her wedding day, ready to marry the man that she loved and start their life together. The veil was removed, so we saw Sharon as she truly was in that moment. And the scripture says that the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us when it comes to looking at the face of Jesus. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 12 onwards, Paul writes about how the Holy Spirit reveals the full face of God to us. And he even uses the word that the veil is removed. Let me just read it to you quickly. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the heart. But when one turns to the Lord, meaning Jesus, that veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we all, all of us, with unveiled faces, can now behold the glory of God as in a mirror. And we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And all of this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is trying to tell the church of the new covenant, that's us, that we have an opportunity to see the fullness of Jesus' face, to understand the fullness of Jesus' nature, to understand the fullness of who Jesus is in a way unlike thousands of believers from many years before. Our opportunity to see Jesus is unprecedented and it is because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the ongoing work of revelation that the Holy Spirit continues in our lives day to day. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. So the Holy Spirit is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is often called the Spirit of Jesus, and He dwells within us. So if I could summarize this third principle into one thing, revelation, I would say it's like this. We need to allow Jesus to show us who Jesus is. I'll say it one more time. We need to allow Jesus to show us who Jesus is. 
So those are my three principles. Proximity, humility, revelation. This story with Peter, and in fact the whole life of Peter, I'll be honest with you, I find it really frustrating. Because on the one hand, you have somebody recognize Jesus for who he is like nobody ever before in humanity has done. And then moments later, he's completely forgotten who Jesus is. On the one hand, you could say, did anybody know Jesus better on earth? And on the other hand, you'd say, did anybody fail him more completely? And yet, his story didn't end there. We know that what happened next was they went on to the Last Supper. Peter argued with Jesus again. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Peter said, no, we won't. And then Peter, uh, Jesus said to Peter, well, actually, Peter, you, you personally, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, I won't, I won't do it. Just a little sidebar. Don't disagree with Jesus when he tells you something. Don't be like, oh, no, I think I know better. If Jesus says you're going to do this, you can kind of just go, I guess I'm going to do it. We know then that Peter went on to deny Jesus three times. And we know that Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, he was killed, he was buried. On the third day he rose again, that he walked on this earth for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we know that his work was made complete, and we know because of all that he did that we have been given life and life in abundance. We know that we've been released into new freedom. We know that the gap between us and God has been removed and will never be put in place again. And we know that Jesus will never turn away those who approach him and say, Lord, may I enter your kingdom. So what can we learn from the story of Peter? Worship team, please, uh, please come back up. We're going to worship again in a second. I think whilst we can take his failures as a cautionary tale, we can also look at how the story ended. Because there is redemption for those who are in Christ. Amen, church? There is redemption. There is always a second chance. There is always another moment. God never gives up on us. He is always ready to use us again. All we need to be able to do is say, Lord, use me. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, look on me again. As we said in the story, Jesus stayed on earth for 40 days after he rose. He ascended into heaven. And some nine or ten days after that, we had the day of Pentecost. And for those of you who don't know the story, as was prophesied by Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell amongst the believers as they were praying in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descended on them and tongues, and tongues of fire came down from the ceiling. They began to praise and worship God. They began to speak in other languages. And they spilled out into the streets. And everybody thought they were drunk. And who was it but Peter that stood up and said, No. And he went on to explain and draw a line from the prophet Joel the whole way down through history, through the story of the cross, to the very moment that they found themselves in. He gave an appeal for people to repent and give their lives to Jesus. And he gave this incredible sermon in Acts chapter 2, where it was in no doubt that Peter knew who Jesus was. 
from the lowest of failures to the highest of victories and everything in between. There is much to be learned from Peter's story. Life is fragile. Our human condition is fragile. We will have victories. We will have defeats. But God is never finished with us. God is never finished with us. He is never, ever finished with us. In God, I just want to finish with this. In, in God, there is more love than you could ever imagine. There is more love than you could ever imagine, church. Somebody needs to hear this today. There is more love than you could ever imagine in Jesus. There is redemption there is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness, and there is restoration to rebuild broken things and make them beautiful again. Jesus knows how we are, and yet he loves us completely. And in response, we love him, and we long to know him completely. Humility, proximity, revelation. Can we stand together, please, church? I want to invite you, if you can, if it's not too much, please stand.